Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. If we uh, look at the world around us, read the newspapers, uh, watch the news, uh, just look at life in general, it looks like Satan is winning. It looks like he's winning. And every time I, I think of that, I'm reminded of a story that I read years ago about a man who drove by a ball field. There was a group of children playing baseball. And he stopped by and he talked to one of the boys on the sideline. He said, uh, what's the score? And the boy said, oh, we're behind 36 to nothing. And the, the guy said, oh, man, that must be disheartening and discouraging. He goes, oh, no, we haven't batted yet. Here's the thing. Right now, right now, it looks like Satan is winning. But God hasn't batted yet. God is not through. Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes, God will have the final say. Jesus will have the final say. And then it will be over. Last week we talked about this coming of Jesus. We talked about the the second coming of Jesus and and what it would look like and how we could prepare for it. In in verse 10, Peter describes that, uh, that coming. So open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. As we look at that verse, and then I'm going to give you some some insights on that verse, and then we'll move into the heart of the sermon in verses 11 through 18. But I want to point out some things in verse 10 because it kind of set the stage for what we're going to learn today. Verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Let me give you a couple truths that I see in this passage. First, we need to understand that the coming of the Lord is going to come suddenly. He says it's going to come like a thief. People don't know when thieves come. They come unexpectedly. They come when you're not looking for them. Uh, They come when you're unaware. They will come unexpectedly. It will be suddenly. Peter says that's the coming of the Lord. It's going to come suddenly. That's why you cannot put off receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior because he's going to come like a thief when you're least prepared and, un- and ready for it. The second thing we see, not only is his second coming going to become, come suddenly, it's going to come significantly. Look at what he says. He said, the heavens will disappear with a roar. That word disappear has been translated dissolve or to disintegrate. But the thing you need to understand about it, it's not going to be a silent thing. It will be heard. He says in verse 10, it would disappear with a roar. The word used for roar is the crackling of a fire. It'll be like a piece of wood and it pops. It'll be that way. In other words, you will hear it. You won't be standing around saying, what was that? You will know it clearly as what it is. He goes on and describes it a little further. He says it will, it will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by Fire. He gives us a further description. The word elements here is the word for the basic building blocks of the universe. The basic building blocks of the universe. You could translate that as the word atom. That's why in Greek it was atom. We make it atom. So he's talking about the very building blocks. All of society, all of the universe is built by atoms. Well, we know that. Now, before, uh, for years and years and years, nobody understood this verse. Uh, they couldn't say, we don't exactly know what it's mean until 1939, a significant event occurred. Some scientists discovered that if you split the atom, you split the nucleus, you could create fire. You could create that. Thus begun the atomic age. 
So we know, and looking at this through the lens of, of, of Scripture and knowing what, what Peter is trying to say, he's saying that when Jesus comes, there will be something like an atomic blast of power that will totally disintegrate the earth. This is what God's Word is saying to us. That's the truth. Now, in the meantime, what do we do? What do we do in the meantime? That's what we're going to look at in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. As we look at these words this morning under the heading, how do we live until Jesus comes? Do you all believe Jesus is coming? Raise your hand. Believe Jesus is coming? All right. You believe he's coming, so I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to live, okay? In the meantime, this is good news, all right? This is going to help you. Uh, no matter how, if you're 8 or 80, it doesn't matter. On our church, 9 to 90, it doesn't matter, okay? This is going to help you prepare for the night. Look at the, what Peter writes. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same thing in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I'm going to give you five, four truths. Verse 11, he asked the question, how ought you to live? How should you live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming? How should you live your lives? The point he's trying to make as we get into this is that the, the second coming should impact the way we live. The fact that Jesus is coming should impact the way we live this life. First, we are to live for him. Look at verse 11. He anticipates the, que the answer. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. The word holy means set apart. You're unique. You are set apart for God. Now, some people don't like to talk about holiness. Uh, it, it, it leaves a sour taste in the mouth. Now, if you ask somebody, do you want to be saved? They're, yeah, they're okay with that. If you ask somebody, do you want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Yeah, I really want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But when you ask them, do you want to be holy? Eh, I'm not for sure about that. Because holy means I'm odd. Holy means I'm weird. Holy, holy means I'm strange. And after all, people make fun of holy people. Well, you must be one of those holy Joes. Well, who do you think you are? Holier than thou? So we don't like to think of the word holy. Uh, we don't want to be classified as holy. But Jesus, but the word holy means set apart for God's use. You are set apart for God's use. It means you are not your own. You are unique. You are different. Listen to the way Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, verse 15. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. He says, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus in your word and be like Jesus in your actions. 
He said, now he says be holy and godly. It means the same thing. He's just reiterating the point. He's saying be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of Jesus. Reflect his image. In verse 14, you see the same thing. He says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Peter is issuing a challenge to the people. He's issuing a challenge. He said, you know that Jesus is coming. So here's the way you're supposed to behave. Here's the way you're supposed to live your life. He goes, make it a priority that you look like Jesus. Make it a priority that you give testimony about Christ. Listen, when Jesus comes, I don't want him to find my tithe in my pocket, my talent buried, and my time wasted on things of the world. I don't want him to do that. I want him to come, and I want him to find me spotless. I want him to find me blameless, and I want him to find me at peace with him. You should be the same thing. As the pastor of this church, I want Jesus to come and find his bride. I want him to find his bride spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That's what we should want. Listen to the way John says it in 1 John 2.28. He says, Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears... We may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Let me ask you a question. Will you be ashamed when Jesus comes? Will you be ashamed when he comes? You don't have to be ashamed if you will live for him. First, second, second truth. Not only are we to live for him, but we are to look for him. Look at verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, as you look forward to the day. You're looking forward to the day. He says the same thing in verse 13. He says, look at what he says. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. He says the same thing in verse 14. You are looking forward to this. Are you getting the point? Are you, are you trying to see the emphasis? Usually when you see something three times, that is a, a point of emphasis. We're looking forward. It, does it, it means we're looking forward anticipation with expectation. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. So we are anticipating it with expectation. Why? Because we know things are going to get better. We know that this is not the end. Remember the context. Remember the context. God is going to come and he's going to destroy everything we value. Everything we hold dear will be destroyed. Did you know this building will be destroyed? Everything will be destroyed. But we, we, don't, we don't worry about that. Why? Because we're looking for something better. Our, our home is not here. We're looking for something better. We're looking for something brighter. He said, man, don't live your life looking in the rearview mirror. You don't be, a, be a, a navel gazer. Keep looking forward and, and, and forget those things that are behind you. You can't change your past, but you can't change your future. Keep looking forward to something better than what we're experiencing today. Why is that? He says, because everything's going to change. In the twinkling of an eye, it will be changed. Everything that we know and everything we hold dear is going to be destroyed. Here's what Peter's saying. Don't get too comfortable in this world. Don't get too comfortable here. Everything you have is going to pass away. You know that. How many, you, you've been to funerals. How many people take with them their possessions? It's kind of like that guy that Told his wife, he goes, when, when I die, I want all my money buried in my casket with me. I'm going to take it with me. And she honored that. She wrote a check and put it in there. Listen, folks, you can't take anything with you. Don't get too comfortable here. Because God is preparing a better place for us. He says that Jesus said, when I come, 
I'm going to take you to be with me. Because I've got a place specifically designed for you. This morning, Simon Sandoval passed away, in case y'all didn't know. Uh, passed away this morning. Guess what? It's perfectly within God's timing. Why did Simon pass away this morning? Because God's place was ready for him. You will not pass away until it's ready for you up there. So, so make the best of what you have here and quit thinking about those things and prepare yourself for the future. But many people, many people live for the now and they forget the future. But we can't do that because we are looking with anticipation for something better, something brighter, something grander. So we are to live for Him. We are to look for Him. Third, we are to labor for Him. Look at verse 12 again. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. I want you to focus on that phrase, speed, it's coming. Did you know that you have a hand in speeding up the day of the Lord? Did you know that you can actually speed up? And I know this, this, this messes with our theology a little bit. Because we often think that it's on a timetable. is that God's got a fixed date on man's calendar that he's going to come. And people come up with all the events. Oh, he's going to come on April the 15th. He won't ever come on tax day, would he? He's going to come on April the 16th after you pay your taxes. April the 16th, he's going to come. It's going to be at 848 in the morning. Just keep your eyes on the eastern sky. That's where he's going to come. And we like to think that that's the way it is. All these things have to happen before Jesus can come. We just told us he's going to come like a thief in the night. Uh, but but so, so, so we think through all these things. But according to Peter, he says we can speed up the day of the coming of the Lord. Did you know that? Stop and think about it. How do we do it? The first thing you do is you pray for it. What did Jesus teach his disciples in his in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, pray this. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus command us to pray for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, if it's a fixed date? Why would he do that? So we pray for his coming. We, we pray, Lord, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. So not only do we pray for his coming, and we can speed it up, but second, we are to share the gospel. We are to share the gospel. Peter's already told us what the will of God is in verse 9. In verse 9, he says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The will of God is for people to be saved. The will of God is for people to turn to Him. That's His will. This is not a debatable question. This is not a debatable thing. That is God's will. He wants all people to be saved. Did you hear me? God's will is He wants people to be saved. That's His will. So we do it by, by sharing the gospel. Listen to what Matthew 24... Don't, don't turn there. Matthew 24... If you want to know something about the second coming, you want to know something about the final times, read Matthew 24, 25. It is the clearest teaching on the second coming of Jesus there is. And it's right from the words of Jesus. He's teaching his disciples about the second coming and what's going to happen. Then in verse 14 of Matthew 24, he makes this statement. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
You see what he does? He ties the end of his end of time with the gospel message. The gospel message will be preached to all people, to all nations. That word there is nations is all people groups. To all people groups. And then when that gospel is preached to all people groups, the end will come. The end will come. Several years ago, uh, Gabby and I, my family and I served as international missionaries. Many of you know that. Uh, many of you know that. And we were, when we were uh, called to the mission field, the IMB of the Southern Baptist Convention was right in the middle of a strategic change. Uh, they were going to change the way they were doing submissions. It's not that what they were doing in the, in, the, in the past was wrong. It's just that they had a new emphasis they wanted to do. And so they had made a decision. They were long, no longer going to invest in hospitals. They were no longer going to invest in education. They were no longer going to uh, invest in housing and, and all those type of things. Instead, all the money that we give is going to be invested in evangelism and church planning. Evangelism and church planning. And the focus would be on unreached peoples. In other words, we would move, move resources from a, a country which has had the gospel, such as Brazil, Nigeria, places such as that, where we had been there for over 150 years, and they would move it now to what they call the 1040 window, which is the unreached people group. India, Pakistan, uh, 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 you know, uh, Iraq, Iran, Somalia, all those places in that 1040, Egypt, all that, uh, China, Indonesia, Singapore, all those places out that way. They would focus on that because within that little place there's all these little pockets of people that have never even heard the gospel. And so they would begin pushing the emphasis there. Why did they do that? Because of that verse in Matthew 24. The idea was from, from leading strategists is that if we can get the gospel to these unreached people groups, then we can speed up the day of the Lord's coming. So that was a strategy that they did. Now, how does that impact us here at Western Heights? What do we need to do to speed up his coming? How does that impact us? Paul says in the book of Romans that God has a set number of people that are going to come into the kingdom. God's word, not mine. He says there's a set number of people that will be saved, and then I'll restore Israel. A set number. So somewhere in God's mind that we do not know, he has a number. He knows how many people are going to be saved. He has this set number to be saved. How do we know that it's not that eight-year-old boy that comes to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and lives across the street? How do we know it's not that 32-year-old single mom raising two boys by herself that doesn't know Jesus, but she comes to Christ? How do we know it's not that meth addict who discovers that he can get high on Jesus and not meth? How do we, not, how do we know that it's not the next person that is saved that Jesus said, go get my church? We don't know that. We don't know that. So in the meantime, we strive to do what? To bring as many people as we can to hear the gospel. So they too have a chance to respond. So everything I do here at Western Heights, everything I've done for the last four and a half years, and I will continue to do, is to get the gospel in the hands of the people so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything I do, and hear me, everything I will continue 
to do is to get the good news into the people that have not heard it yet. That should be our goal as a church. Why? Because we want to speed up the day of the Lord. We want to speed it up. We want to make sure that, that we do our part to speed up the day of the Lord. Why do we do that? Because verse 9 tells us it is God's will. It is God's will that none should perish but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. We ought to live for Him. We ought to look for Him. We ought to labor for Him. And finally, we ought to learn about Him. Look at verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. That verse 15 ties back into verse 9. He said, the reason that God is patient, why? Is because he wants to give more time for people to be saved. And so, so remember that, that God's patience means salvation. He's patient because it means salvation for more people that need more time to respond to the gospel message. Peter, he says, Peter and Paul saying the same thing as what Peter said. He says, Paul says the same thing. Look at verse 16. He said, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant, unschooled, unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. He says that many people misunderstand Paul's words and it causes them to distort the truth of the gospel. It causes them to distort the truth of scripture. Listen, the Bible's not always easy to understand. You know, I've been studying it for over 35 years, and there's still parts I said, Lord, I don't understand this. Uh, and sometimes you, 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 you say, this is difficult to read, and you throw up your hands in despair and say, Lord, help me to understand it. I don't get it. Help me to understand this truth. We shouldn't feel bad. Peter says, man, I can't understand some of Paul's writings. It's hard. It's difficult to understand but there are people out there who would take the truth of God's word and they would distort it for their own benefit, for their own gratification, for their own satisfaction. All of chapter 2 of 2 Peter talks about that. He talks about the false teachers and the false teachings. Go back and read it and then understand it in the context of chapter 3. What, he, what he's talking about, people will take advantage of them. He said, be careful who you listen to. Be careful to what you read. Listen, that is why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives gifts to the church. You know what those gifts are? They're teachers and they're preachers. I know you don't, uh, that's hard to accept, but that's literally what the text says. God gifts the church with pastors and teachers and preachers and evangelists and apostles. He gives those gifts to the church. Why? He says, so that they can teach sound doctrine and you will not be strayed away. He says, so he does that so they can be equipped for every good work. Ephesians chapter 4 says that. Sometimes you need somebody to help you understand Scripture. There's a great illustration of this in Acts chapter 8. You know the story. An Ethiopian worshiper of God was on his way back from Jerusalem after spending time worshiping. And he was in his chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah. Don't try this at home. 
okay? I don't think he was actually driving the chariot. He probably had somebody driving it for him, and he was on the side reading it, okay? Uh, so he was, this was before you couldn't text and drive, okay? Uh, so he was reading the scroll, and he was reading in Isaiah 53. And at that time, God led Philip to run beside him. You know, Philip was a deacon. Isn't that amazing? A deacon actually sharing the gospel with someone else. That's, it's amazing. It's a concept I've never heard of. Uh, and so this deacon was running alongside them, and he asked him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I unless somebody explain it to me? At that time, Peter, uh, at that time Philip began explaining the message of the gospel to him. And you know what happened? He was saved, and he was baptized. He needed somebody to come along and explain the truth of Scripture to him. Peter says you need to study the Word of God. You need, to, you need to understand it. And sometimes you need somebody to help you do that. Then look at verse 17. He goes on, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, since you already know this truth, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Here's what he's saying from what I can understand in looking at it. He's saying you cannot live your life backwards. You've always got to be moving forward in your faith. You've always got to be pushing forward. Don't go backwards in your Christian life is what he's saying in that passage. He talks about this. He says... Uh, not lose and not fall from your secure position. He's not talking about losing your salvation. The word used for fall is the word shipwreck. He said, don't let your Christian faith be shipwrecked. What does a shipwreck do? It sits on the side of the beach and never goes anywhere. He said, don't let your Christian faith be shipwrecked. Don't let it be shipwrecked because you, you've misunderstood, because you've misunderstood the Scripture, because you misunderstood the teaching, because people have led you astray, therefore your faith is shipwrecked. And you're not moving forward. We ought to live every day to be more and more like Jesus. Unfortunately, many people have gone nowhere in their faith. They're not any more mature today than they were the day they received Jesus as Lord and Savior of the life. Instead of making progress in their Christian faith, they digress in their Christian faith. Verse 18, he says, instead of digressing, instead of going backwards in your faith, instead of being carried away by the error and falling from your secure position, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Every day, we ought to grow in the knowledge. How do we do that? How do you grow in your knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ? Let me give them to you real quick. First, you study God's Word. You get yourself in a church that preaches the Word of God, that, that expounds the Word of God, and doesn't shy away from the truth of God's Word. But, not only that, you need to be in a Bible study class with gifted teachers who are teaching the Word of God so you can ask questions, you can discuss, you can dialogue with it, and you need to be studying the Word of God on your own. Asking it questions. What does this verse mean to me? How can this verse, is there a truth in this verse that I need to apply to my life? Is there sin in this verse that I need to confess? You ask those questions. Allow the Word of God to examine your life and transform your life. That's the first thing you need to do. Second thing you need to do, you need to exercise your faith. You need to study it, you need to know it, and then you need to put what you're learning into action through service, through ministry, through giving, through sharing. You need to put your work 
Put your faith at work. Why do you do that? Peter tells us. To Him be glory. And I love this last part. Both now and forever. He's saying the reason we do this is so that God can be glorified. That God may be praised. God might be honored. Listen, listen. When we get to heaven, we're going to glorify God forever. But guess what? He said he doesn't want it to start when we get to heaven. He wants it to start now. To him be the glory now and forevermore. We need to pray as a church that he will be glorified in our personal lives. He will be glorified in our church. And he will be glorified in the community where God has placed us. It is my hope and my prayer that you too will want to live the way that God would have you to live according to these words. And may God bless these words this morning. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. Give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Kip's going to come and lead us. Cassie's going to come and play. If you sense God is speaking to your heart this morning, we want to invite you to come. Maybe you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can tell you how to do that. Maybe you see somebody to pray with you. We can do that. Whatever decision God is leading you to make, maybe it's to be a part of this church. We would love to be able to share with you how you could do that. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father God, we come before your presence this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here. Now we pray, Father, you will speak to our hearts as only you can. Father, we know there are many people that need Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, some of them are our own families. Our children, our grandchildren, Father, maybe even our parents. Father, they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But Father, there's also people outside these walls in this community that go to these schools and, and work in the place we work and Father, uh, work in the place where we, we, we give our business. Father, there's people that need Jesus. Father, help us live to labor for Him, Father, and to learn about Him more and more every day so that we can be transformed more and more into His image. We give you this time this morning for you to speak to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.